0: Last week, we were in chapter 5 of Luke's gospel, same gospel here, but we were early in uh, the early part of the book as Jesus' ministry was just getting started, and we were looking at the experience that uh, Simon Peter was going through. Simon Peter, in his, the fisherman in his little fishing boat there out on the lake, and the miraculous catch of fish that Jesus caused to happen, and we looked specifically at Peter's reaction to this. And how interesting that was and how he he fell down at Jesus' feet in this worshipful posture, confessing to Jesus who he is, I'm a sinful man. And it was in this moment that Simon Peter realized something huge. He was realizing who Jesus really is. He's the Emmanuel God, God with us, God himself in the man Jesus. And it, this was a frightening discovery for for Simon Peter, and, and it can be for us too. But, but Jesus' Jesus's reaction, though, was, was to comfort him and to, to welcome him and to, to accept him and saying, from now on, Simon, you're going to be doing another kind of fishing expedition for me. You're going to be catching, catching people. And so here Jesus was, was in, in their boat and, and Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' feet. And in this discovery that, that Simon Peter had of, of Jesus as, as God, we want to follow up on this a little bit today. And, and today's message is, is a, bit of a, a bit of a part two to what we were talking about last time. And, and we are again in Luke's Gospel, but now, instead of at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we're at the tail end. We're at the very end when Jesus is kind of wrapping things up and he's, he's ending his ministry and he, he goes back up to heaven. These are his final days and it's the final moments of Jesus being with his closest followers. He's blessing them in this and he's giving them some final instructions and he's opening their minds to understand the scriptures and then he returns to the father in heaven. So the book, the gospel ends with Jesus ascending to heaven, going back to the father right before their eyes. The disciples are right there. He starts to, Jesus starts to rise off the ground and he's going up higher and higher and then disappears in the clouds. And Luke also describes the same scene at the beginning of his next book, the acts, the acts of the apostles. And And he gives a little bit more description here. That's how he opens his next book about Jesus ascending, going back to heaven. Well, Luke ends here his gospel with describing the disciples doing what? Worshipping Jesus as he goes back to the Father. And verse 52 reads, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is how Luke closes his gospel. So they worshiped Jesus as he went back up to heaven. Then they went back to Jerusalem with great joy and did what? They continued to worship. They continued their worshiping. They went straight to the temple, the main place of worship for the Jewish people, to worship Yahweh to continue worshiping God. And, and Luke tells us that they were there continually, not just one time. They were constantly there all the time, praising God, blessing God, worshiping him, giving thanks to God. So here in this final passage of Luke's gospel, first we have some double worshiping going on here, we might say. All right, first they worship Jesus as he's leaving them, and then after that they go all go to the temple to worship god blessing god and secondly they do this all with great joy they're filled with joy filled with this new excitement towards god they they've met jesus now they know jesus they've been they've been with him for a while now all this time they know jesus and they saw now that he conquered death he was He was risen. He's the risen Christ. He won. Jesus won. They're excited about this. They're filled with joy. Now, these are, these men here in this text are they're devout Jews who worship God. The context here is very Jewish. They're in Jerusalem. They're in the capital city of Israel. They're at, they go to the central place of worship, the the temple. And their religion up until this point, Judaism, is strictly a monotheistic religion. Very key to this, to to their, their faith here. As a Jew, you worship the one God, the one and only God, Yahweh. And remember, Christianity at this point is just getting started, right, with the coming of Jesus. And in fact, at this point, the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. He's coming pretty soon you know, to really get things going, but the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet to, to start forming the church and really get things off the ground, at least on a larger scale, you might say. Uh, this, but this will happen very soon. But at this point in the text, Judaism, their religion right now for, for the Jews, going to synagogue, going to the temple to worship there, to be in community there, this is, this is very much still central to their life. to to the Jewish way of life, for for these new followers of Jesus, for these believers. And and this includes Simon Peter, who we met last week, and and the other followers like him. So these disciples, they, they return to Jerusalem following Jesus' instructions in verse 49. Jesus tells his disciples, he says to them, behold, I am sending, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you but stay in the city, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit will be sent to them soon. So they're to hang out for a while in Jerusalem, waiting for the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. These are his specific instructions. And in the meantime, what are they doing? They're worshiping God. They're going to the temple continually, worshiping the Lord, spending time in prayer, in community, as they wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus' followers, both men and women involved here, they continue to be good practicing Jews, at least as far as their consciences would allow them to be. And this is what Luke gets into in his next book, in the Acts, how Jesus' followers eventually run into opposition for their faith in Jesus, they run up against the, the, the teachings and, and the viewpoints of the Jewish religious leaders who oppose them for this faith in, in Jesus. And Luke goes on to describe all of this in, in his um, next book. Um, but it's, it's all about how they, these followers choose to worship the Lord Jesus and the implications of that. And how this kind of gets them into trouble with, with the Jewish traditions and 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 interpretations of that, I'd say, and and the teachings of, of the Jewish faith. But see, the intention here, the intention with Jesus coming and ushering in the good news of the kingdom of God, gathering his followers around him, making disciples, his his preaching ministry from day one, from the to the time you went back up to, into heaven, all within this this Jewish context here, all of this, all of this was was never meant to make these good practicing Jews kind of turn against their religion, or or to become anti-Jewish, in that sense, or or to turn them against their their faith, uh, in the sense of completely supplanting their their faith, or or to start to undermine their their devotion to to the scriptures, to the prophets, to the law, and things like that. That, that was never the intention here uh, of Jesus. And, and Jesus talks about this uh, all, all throughout his, his ministry here. Rather, Jesus came to refresh all of these things. He came to renew these things, to, to shine some new light on, on, this, on their faith. And who they are as jews who they are as the people of god and to help clarify for them help help to maintain their true identity identity as the people of israel as the chosen people of god what what does it mean what does it really mean to be the people of god as a jew and jesus came to refresh all of this for them not to turn them against their their religion and jesus was all about this He he wanted to carry this forward, this, this vision that goes way back about being the people of God. Jesus came to help them fulfill their original calling and vision by God, which is what? Which is what? To be a called out people, to be a holy people unto God, to be that light to the nations, to fill the earth, to fill the world with the knowledge of God, with the goodness of God that God would work through these people to bring him into the world and into the nations of the earth. As it says in Isaiah 49, this is their calling, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, the rest of the nations, the non-Jewish people, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is their calling. And Jesus came to clarify this. This calling goes way back to share God's love with the world, to make this good God known throughout the world to all peoples. This goes all the way back to Abraham, Abraham's calling, when God called him to leave his country and go settle in a foreign land. And it's through Abraham that God had this plan which eventually became the people of Israel. And and Israel had always been God's chosen people through whom God will make himself known in the world. And and this was the plan from all along, and it never changed when Jesus came. But Jesus refreshed this in in different ways. But really, the the vision is the same here. The, The intention and the game plan the same all along here and and this is our calling too it carries forth it carries forth into the time of the church for us as followers of Jesus today this is the same same plan to, to make this good God known throughout the world and boy, does our world need to know about this God and just how good he is and then we see how this, this same calling, the same vision for the people of God continues in our text today. But now it's done in the name of Jesus, in this new covenant that's been given through Jesus' blood, newly empowered by the Holy Spirit who's about to come, As it says in verse 47 of our text today that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, Jesus says. So beginning right here in this Jewish context of Jerusalem and Israel, the plan is still the same as it always was, to go out go out into the nations, go out, encourage people to turn to the living God, to know Jesus, to put their trust in Jesus because the gifts of forgiveness of sins and eternal life are made, made available now through Christ in a, in a, in a very uh, pointed way now, especially now through the death of Jesus that has already taken place and the resurrection confirmed by his resurrection. And, and God is going to make all this happen by sending his Holy Spirit. He's going to empower his witnesses to go forth, to go out and to take the gospel, this good news, into the world. Yesterday, my family and I, we went out with a few, uh, some others uh, from the other congregations, the other two congregations, and we went out to uh, a nearby subdivision just by the church down this way, just off of Elgin Mills and, and Bayview, and and really walking distance from here, we, and we went out, and we went door to door. We went, uh, we went to, just stayed in this, this area, and we went door to door, and we, we were uh, knocking on the doors and just introducing ourselves to to the people living there and just letting them know basically that that we are here in their neighborhood in their community and we left a little some information with them about our church and and we were able to have some conversation with them and and you know, we, we went out to, we divided up into teams, and we just kind of each took a little section, and and we were able to meet some of the people who live there, and, and, and they're really close by. And it turns out that in this subdivision, this is a pretty new one, the, the vast majority of the people living there are Chinese, and, and especially Hong Kong Chinese, as we, as we come to find out. And we wouldn't know this unless we went there, unless we had gone there and, and, and you know, Introduce ourselves and started to get to know them, and and also for them, they wouldn't know, they wouldn't have known, you know, perhaps that there's a Chinese church just right up the street from where they live, uh, unless we had gone in there and 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 let them know that that we're here, and you know, this is all part of of fulfilling God's vision, God's call to to go out into nations to make disciples, right? To to you know, make. Make those points of contact, right, with with others who are out there, and and you know you might be saying, well, you know that kind of style of evangelism, that's really not my thing, I'm not really not really into that. I prefer maybe more more relationship building forms of evangelism, and and that's that's good, that's important. I'm with you on that, but there's still value in kind of the canvassing approach, you might say, to towards towards evangelism and, and and sharing sharing with others you know, because, you know, it helps us, first of all, get, us, get a better sense of our context here in, you know, and where we are, where we are located specifically here. We get a sense of who's our neighbor, right? Who's, you know, doing church is, is also going out there. It's not just what we do in here on this property. Being the church is about going out there, and, and it helps us get a sense of who's living around us, our context, it's it's developing very fast, and this is a a newer subdivision. These people have not been there very long. helps us get a sense of of who is is around us in our community, and it helps us, helps them, helps them get a sense of their context, their community, where they live, that, oh, there's a church up the street from where I live and where I'm invested in, and perhaps they didn't know that before helps them to maybe put a friendly face to this building here that maybe they drive by all the time, right? And it, these are important connections that we need to make, and we don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do with it, you know, but, but when we take that initiative, God does stuff, God does stuff, and, and the seeds, the seeds are planted, and, and so, you know, I want to encourage you to, to join us. Our, our outreach team, we, we go out about once, um, once one to two times, once every one to two months or so. And um, Gordon and others make it, uh, it's very well organized and they, calm your, they help calm your fears that you, that you might have. But I encourage you to come out because this is part of our calling. It's part of our vision to go out. And this is a very practical way of doing it in making disciples and being a disciple-making church. This is one of the ways that we can, we can definitely do this. So here going back to our text, we, we have these devoted followers of Jesus here, who have this renewed vision and calling to carry out, to go out into the world with the good news. And, and they do this now at the same time, worshiping both Jesus and God. Hmm. This is what they're doing in the end here, when Jesus closes, when Jesus leaves them and Luke closes his gospel here. They're worshiping Jesus and God. Also at the end of Matthew's gospel, right? The Great Commission that we talked about before, Matthew 28, it says here that when they saw him upon that mountain, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. So for me, I ask this question. I ask this question. How do these Jewish men and women, okay, these, these, Jewish, these Jewish Jesus followers, okay, how, how do they reconcile their Jewish faith being adherence to a monotheistic religion, How do they reconcile this with worshiping both Jesus and God? Two divine beings, right, to worship now. How do they do this as Jews, as followers of Jesus? Or we might say, what happened to them? What happened to them in the process? And I I mean this in a positive way. What, what What was the process they went through so that in the end, as Luke describes for us, in the end, They are worshiping both Jesus and God here. After all, in the Jewish faith, you're supposed to worship Yahweh alone, right? Yahweh alone, nothing else. The great Shema. The great Shema that's recited in, in Jewish worship services, in, on the Sabbath, every, every worship service in the synagogue, this is central to Jewish identity and practice. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is central to their identity. It's a big no-no for Jews to worship anything else besides God. It's wrong to set up anything else alongside God or in place of God, where you worship another God, you know, where you worship maybe both God and this other God, lowercase g, God. It's a clear violation of, of the, the first two commandments, of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Do not make a carved image or any of any of any likeness anything that's in heaven or on the earth beneath or in the water you shall not bow down to them or serve them i am the lord your god and i'm a jealous god i want to be the one and only in your life and i get upset when i'm not god makes this clear you know it's not and it's not just about idolatry yes this is definitely about idolatry but it's not just about that in, in worship that is in worship, idolatry in terms of worshiping something else that is false a false god it also includes it also includes associating god's nature god's being his his character associating those things who he is as the true god associating things these things with something else something else other than god Himself, such as something created here on the earth, maybe a tree or a rock or an animal, and saying those things have the nature of God. Those things have the, the essence of God. It also includes this because it disrespects God. It disrespects who he is. It undermines his identity. It's, it's robbing from him and, and who he is in, in his totality. If we, if we say that something else also has God or has his nature, has his being, that's that's taking away from god and, and then it's even worse if we start to worship that thing right okay so th- this is this is central to the jewish faith okay the jews call this blasphemy this is a a, a serious crime it's it's a way of profaning the one and, the one holy god blasphemy and this this was the charge that condemned jesus to death blasphemy jesus was asked in, in Luke twenty two seventy, 70, by the Jewish religious leaders, they asked him, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, well, you are right in saying that I am. So Jesus also has the same true nature, being as God, as Yahweh, in order to be God's son. And so it essentially makes Jesus God in his In his being and this is also who what Jesus would have to be if his claim which he makes uh, in the in this uh, passage here uh, about being seated in a position of authority and at the right hand of the mighty God Jesus claims this and he would have to be the son of God he would have to be God for him to be have such authority and so he is affirming that he is God and and as scandalous as this may be and sound for Jews When we put this up against the backdrop of the Jewish religion, this is actually the one crucial piece that leads Jesus' followers to worship both Jesus and God and, and to be okay with that, to have no issue with this. In fact, it gives them great joy, right, as we see. It gives them great joy to do this and to do it continually, to keep on doing it. They're filled with praise and adoration. For these followers of Jesus, as they carry out the mission and vision of God, as they proclaim the kingdom of God as the people of God, they feel there's no violation. For them, there's no violation here of their faith, of their monotheistic religion that says to worship Yahweh alone. Because to them, to them worshiping Jesus, they are still worshiping the same God this is the end result that these disciples arrived at. This was the process they went through. And so getting back to our earlier question here, how did they do this? What was this process that happened to them over these past few years that caused them to be okay with this and to be these kinds of worshipers? Well, from the moment they started following Jesus, it was they embarked on, on a journey of discovery. They discovered and learned a lot of things while following Jesus. But the one thing they came to learn very well that was key to their faith was the deity of Jesus that Jesus is actually God. And this is crucial to their faith as a Jew. They had to nail this point. And the story we looked at last Sunday with Simon Peter in the fishing boat, this is a huge example of this, a prime example of this. We met Simon Peter at a major turning point in his faith and in his journey. He was on this journey of discovery, and in that boat, he realized that Jesus is God. There at Jesus' feet, you know, Worshiping in that posture there, right? In in his boat, this boat that's full of all kinds of fish, right? And they're about to sink, right? (laughs) But it's in that moment that Peter calls Jesus Lord. There's the Lord God, God in man, the God-man, Jesus. And there are many other stories and accounts and episodes throughout the Gospels that focus on this process, this process of discovering who Jesus really is that he is God. I'm sure you can think of some of them, some of these these stories. How about when Jesus calmed the storm? The disciples really hit the disciples in that that moment. When they saw Jesus walking on water. In fact, it says they actually worshipped him when they saw that, when he climbed back into the boat. And they said, you are the son of God. All these aha moments for them. How about when Jesus healed the paralytic brought in on a mat by his four friends? Yes, Jesus healed the paralytic. That was amazing. But what was Jesus' main point, though? What was the point he really wanted to make there? He wanted to make the point that he forgives sins. But only God can do that. Only Yahweh alone can forgive sins. So the point he wanted to make here is that I, too, have the authority, Jesus is saying, to forgive sins. I, too, have that power, essentially claiming that he's God and to help everyone believe that he is God, that he has the same authority here when it comes to the forgiveness of sins. And so these kinds of stories and accounts, they go on and on, they go on and on, but but you start to see a pattern here. You start to see a, a pattern of this process that the disciples are going through to understand who Jesus really is, he, the deity of Jesus. And if you go into the other parts of the New Testament, it's all over the place about language, about Jesus as God. So to bring, bring all this to a close, you know, we may not be Jewish, we may not be Jewish believers and have some of the same, same um, things to contend with here, but we still worship both God the Father and God the Son. And as the Apostle Paul says here in Romans, in Romans ten twelve, for there is no distinction here between Jew and Greek or Jew and, and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's ask ourselves this question today. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? I'm sure he's many things to you, many good things. He's your savior, he's your redeemer. Maybe you call him your best friend, that's great. Maybe he's he's your healer, maybe he's brought you through something that involved healing in your life. You call him your healer. Maybe he's he's someone who has has really been a source of comfort for you in your life. You, you, You call him all these things, that's for you, and that's good but all of these things that Jesus is to us as, as important and, and as special and as, as, as true as, as they are for us, all these things come alive. They have meaning, meaning in our lives only when we see also that Jesus is the living God. He's also the living God manifested as the Son, as the Son of God, the Son of the Father, this divine Jesus. Divine Jesus, he he makes all these things about who he is, whatever that might be for you, he makes all these things real. They come, come to life when we accept him as the Lord God, the living God over our lives right now, today. Yes, he was a good teacher. Yes, he taught some really cool things a long time ago. Yes, he did some amazing miracles a long time ago. Yes, he died on the cross for my sins. I'm very thankful he did this back then, and and we can all enjoy the benefits of this today, all these things today, by accepting him. But at the same time, he's also the risen Christ. He's the ascended Christ who went back to the Father who was victorious over death. And right now, as we speak, he is seated at the right hand of the Father as the Son, as the risen Christ. He is the King, but he is all of these things as God, as the Lord God who reigns over us, who reigns over this world, who reigns over us our hearts and he does so in love he does so in truth he does so in righteousness and until we really take hold of this until we we really realize this and 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 accept this in our lives it's it's only then it's only then can our that our relationship with jesus really comes to life really becomes an abiding one in him that's that's real. It's, It's a living relationship. Jesus wants to bring you through this journey of discovery as he did for those first followers. He wants to bring you through that same journey to discover who he is. He wants to show you who he really is in your life. He wants to do so in a way that works for you, that speaks to you. Just like how Simon Peter in his fishing boat, that was his moment. Jesus wants to show you that he's God in your life, the good God, the good God who loves you, loves you very much. He wants to be your God, the Lord God of your life. And so will you accept him? Will you receive him into your life will you let him be this in your life and and not just on sundays not just today not just here but every day and wherever you go let him be the lord god in your life and maybe it's maybe it's a first time for you but for maybe for others maybe you need some refreshing on this to make jesus the lord of your life again to help renew your relationship of Jesus as as the one and only Lord God of of my life, the one and only. In the end, when Jesus is your Lord and God, then you know what's going to happen? Just like those first followers, the worship is just going to flow out. It's just going to flow out. You're going to be filled up with worship and you're going to be filled with great joy and all the glory will be given to the one who is both Jesus and God, God the Son, God the Father, but the one and only God. So is he your one and only? Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. Thank you for showing us who you are. You are the amazing God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. It's hard to get our our heads around.